Well, today we continue with the uh, sermon series that uh, God is love, and, and it's on, on Father's Day, and uh, God is love, talking about God's love for us on Father's Day, that would be appropriate as we continue looking at God is. And we come to talk about the love of God. Uh, the love of God probably is that attribute of God as we look at so many of those different ones that might be the most difficult to describe, to understand, and to communicate. And I think part of that difficulty lies in the, in the realm of God's love, that, you know, this is the holy God who created us, who created everything there is, and, and it's a certain sense of holiness and mysteriousness and a perfection about his love. And we don't know about that love uh, in a real-life world where we live today. And that points out the other difficulty about understanding God's love, and that lies in what we see and know about the misunderstanding of love in our culture today. So let me make a couple of several observations about, um, about love in our culture today. Uh, first is I would say I think everyone is looking for love. According to uh, Amazon.com, if you go and look there, there are over 32,000 books listed there currently in print with the word love in the title and over 145,000 that deal with the subject of love. And over 11,000 popular songs, CDs and all that, with love in the title. I didn't, I didn't check this out, but I read somewhere that if you do a simple Google search on the Internet, you discover at least 121 million websites that have the word love in their title and used in some way or another. So I think we would see that the desire for love and to know love, to have love and understand what love is, is woven all the way through the fabric of our life. And unfortunately, as a country western song says, uh, too many people are looking for love in all the wrong places. Now, the second observation I would make is, though, there is a solution to the search for love. See, we all need the same kind of love. And that kind of love is the love that affirms, forgives, supports, and encourages us. And if that's the kind of love we all need and that we want, then that kind of love has to come uh, in an enormous way and be all-encompassing and it has to be absolutely complete and unconditional. And only God has that kind of love for us. He created this planet and he sustains it and created and wove our DNA together uh, in the womb. And he is the source. That same God is the source of this complete and unconditional Love And as we celebrate Father's Day today, it's a great challenge to us that he is our loving father. And it's something in that love that we need to model. You didn't grow up in a loving home. Uh, you didn't grow up with a loving father. Or you didn't grow up with a father. The, one of the greatest discoveries you can make is what I made is that God is the perfect father in heaven. And he loves you. And he loves you un, 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 uh, without any hindrances whatsoever. Unconditional love is what God has for you. And it's a wonderful thing to know that even though we as human beings, fathers in this world, are imperfect, we have a perfect Father in heaven who loves us with that all-encompassing love. And always look to Him for that love. Now, the third observation I'd make is this. Uh, that many people are not experiencing the love that they need and want. That's fairly obvious. I think there's somewhere around uh, 8 billion people on the planet today, uh, something like that. Uh, and I would say that most of them are desperate for love. And there is God with his fulfilling, forgiving love. But so many people do not experience that. Some have never heard about that love. That's why we send missionaries around the world. 
Some know about it but have never accepted it. Some say they have accepted it, but they live as if that love of God in their life makes no difference at all. So we come today in in, in this sermon series talking about God is, and today on Father's Day we look at the fact that God is love. So many passages, and we'll look at a few others later on, that we could look towards, but let's look with me at one in 1 John chapter 4 beginning in verse 7. John writes this letter near the end of his life and ministry, and he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, even in those few words of scripture, we find that it's a great challenge for us to describe and explain the love of God. But at the same time, we need to understand that this wonderful attribute of God, that he is love. Uh, is, is a supreme expression of who God is, and it just flows out of his goodness. And that's why last week in this series of messages on God is, we looked at the fact that God is good. And the week before that, we laid the foundation that said God is sovereign. And so we're building that foundation about understanding God. God is sovereign. God is good today. God is love. And so we need to come today to consider what does it mean for us And how do we see this love? And how do we understand and apply and accept this fact that God is love? Well, let's begin with what the Bible affirms. First of all, the Bible affirms that God is defined by love. We see that in verse 8 of our chapter here in 1 John that we've read. Verse 8 tells us at the end that God is love. This God of creation, this God of the universe is love. He is the personal, intimate, loving God, he is love. Let's share a few examples of that through scripture. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. And he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 36.7 says, How priceless is your unfailing love. Isaiah 38.17 says, Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And then Psalm 63 verse 3 says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Isn't that interesting? That the psalmist said, Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. Well, it's not around Valentine's Day, obviously far removed from that. Uh, But love certainly was on the worldwide scene of the news this week. Did you see the news story about the two giant tortoises that had fallen out of love with each other? I first saw it the other morning on the Today Show. Uh, And and, uh, there's a couple of pictures of them that we have. And the story, I think, comes out of, uh, out of Austria and says that they were raised together. They're said to be about 115 years old, uh, but they can't even stand to be in the same enclosure anymore since Bibby took a bite out of Pody's shell. 
And then, uh, we found that one that says it may have only been 115 years, but it felt like 200. <laughs> You know what we have a tendency to say, don't we, when, when, when we look at marriages like that? Well, the honeymoon is over, right? Well, you know, in our relationship with God and God's love, that honeymoon never, never ends. It never ends. You ever thought about that? It never ends because his love is perfect. We can't keep up the kind of things that God understands, but he's able to see everything that's going to take place and our quirks and our idiosyncrasies. And, and you know, he, he's still the same handsome God no matter how long we've been in that relationship with him. And, and he just wants to love us with all of his heart and to get into our heart. And so we can say that he loves us in such a way that the honeymoon never ends. And when we talk about love, we need to understand what kind of love God's love is. When we look at the New Testament, there are primarily three kinds of love that we see written about. Eros, which is romantic, erotic love. Philo, which is brotherly love. And then there is agape, which is unconditional love. I would venture to say that perhaps our culture today is more focused on eros and philo, erotic love and brotherly love, than it is on agape love, God's love. But God's love is agape love. It's that deepest level of love. It's the most unconditional kind of love you will find. It is love that we call in spite of. And perhaps the most meaningful is found in John 3.16, the very heart of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, we understand that. We hear that probably as long as we've been in church. You might not even have to have been in church to have heard it. So what is the love of God and how do we define it? You see, it varies so differently than human love. Our human love is usually based on this, based this way. It's in response to certain conditions and circumstances around us. See, we love because. We love because someone loves us. We love because someone looks good. We love because somebody makes us feel good and they make us laugh. But when you compare that to God's love, God loves us simply because that's the kind of God that he is. Matthew Henry, a famous uh, Bible commentator from many years ago said, The great God not only loves his saints, but he loves to love them. Isn't that a great feeling to know? That God loves to love you? That's what we need to understand about God and his love for us. Let me just quickly mention some things I think about what God's love means for us. I think it means that God's love and is displayed in his thought and his intentions and his desires and his plans for us that are always for good and never for any harm. Secondly, God really does want a personal and intimate relationship with you. Thirdly, God identifies with your pain, your joy, your hopes, and your dreams, and he shares your emotions. God takes pleasure in who you are, not in your performance or accomplishments. And God is actively and creatively orchestrating people, circumstances, and events to express his affection and correction to provide for you the best possible life. You might want to step back and say, why? Why would God want to do all this in my life? And the answer is very simple, and yet it's profound. It's because God is love. 
and he loves you. And so the issue then that we have to deal with is, is how can we know that's true? You see, especially if we, if, we, if we grew up in a home without a dad like I did, or if you grew up in a home with an abusive father, if you grew up in a home with an absent father, or if you grew up in a home where you never heard your father say, I love you, or if you grew up in a home where you, you never saw your father take the role of spiritual leadership in the home, then that's why you need to come to understand that God is love. And all human beings are imperfect. And all fathers are imperfect. Now, there's some great dads. And that's what I had to watch as a child growing up without a father in the home. I had to watch men to understand what it meant to be a father, to be a dad, to be a husband. And I'm grateful that God gave me enough sense at least to know that and to understand that. And the greatest discovery I made in life was to discover that, that my perfect father is a God in heaven. And, and he loves me with an unconditional love. That made all the difference in my life. All the difference in my life. And it make all the difference in your life if you understand that. So when we ask, you know, how can we come to know that and, and, and how do we see that? The second thing I think we need to know about God's love is that Jesus demonstrated God's love. You see, God is not just defined by love, but he demonstrated his love. First John tells us that. You know, he says God is love and then he tells us how God did that. I read what I thought was a very interesting article uh, off of ChristianParent.com by the author Ruth uh, Williams and who, who says this about how we show God's love. She said, parents should not only share God's love with their children through timeless Bible stories, and I hope that's being done throughout our families, but also through actions. She said, we need to meet our children right where they are in life, right now, cognitively and spiritually and in all their interests. And she says, after all, that's what God did for us in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Now, let me give you some examples that she gives. She says, for young children, she suggests that parents hug your young children and tell them that Jesus loves them. With preschoolers, she says, holding them close and telling them how special they are and how special they are to Jesus will set a solid foundation for their response to God. She said, when children get their feelings hurt by friends, uh, she says, remind them that it is Jesus' love that gives them value rather than the opinions of their friends. And then she said, when you have teenagers, remind them that God's love is unconditional. You see, that's how God loves us, isn't it? He sent Jesus. His ultimate expression of love is in the gift of Jesus Christ. Verses 9 through 10 of our scripture today, John said, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That means that Jesus died for our sins. Now, how did Jesus demonstrate God's love. Well, just get a picture in your mind of Jesus as he walks through the Gospels. You see that Jesus modeled God's love. He touched the untouchables. He spoke to the rejected. He reached the unreachable. He loved the unloved. He was, a known, he was known as the friend of sinners. See, Jesus modeled that passion and grace and truth of God's love. Not only did Jesus model God's love, but Jesus taught God's love. 
Many, many different settings he taught about God's love. I think one of the most powerful settings is in the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. He, uh, it, uh, the Gospel writer tells us three stories there that Jesus displays the love of God about a lost sheep, a lost coin in the house, and about a lost son. And how much interest was devoted to each one of those that was lost. And how there was rejoicing when each one of those that was lost was found. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus says the longing in God's heart is to renew a broken relationship with us, his children. And that's possible when we repent of our sins and we turn to God. You see, the teaching of Jesus is that God's love says, I want you. I want you, and I'll do whatever it takes to get you. And then Jesus displayed God's love. 1 John 3.16. Isn't it interesting that John 3.16 is the heart of the gospel and talks about, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 3.16 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. See, how do we know that God loves us? Look at the cross. The cross displays for you with absolutely any doubt the depth of God's love for you. I want to share with you one of what I think is the clearest passages Uh, about God's love for us, and it demonstrated in Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 6 through 10, we read these words. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Now I think we need to break that passage of scripture down very quickly just for us to understand the depth of God's love and how it's displayed in Jesus Christ. And there are just simply four words for us to focus upon. First of all, in verse 6 says that we were powerless. That word literally describes someone who is infirmed and chronically ill and unable to do anything for him or herself. And when it comes to the issue of sin, we are absolutely powerless to change and to do anything about that sin in our life on our own. That's why we needed God's love in Jesus Christ. The second phrase in in verse 6 is ungodly. And that's a real strong word, isn't it, to be ungodly. Especially when we know these things, or at least think about these things about God, that God is holy and God is perfect and God is righteous and God is love. You know, and all those wonderful attributes of God. And for us to be ungodly simply means that we're the exact opposite of God. And we're a total disgrace to Him. We're irreverent towards God. The third word, I think, is found in verse 8 where it simply says that we were sinners. And that simply means, again, that we had rebelled against God and there was nothing we could do to change our nature or our character. And then the fourth phrase is found in verse 10 where it says we were enemies of God. Now, you look at all those words that are put together there about how we were powerless and how we were ungodly. 
you know, and, and how we were, we were sinners. It, it makes logical sense for us to understand that we were enemies with God. In fact, he even goes on to say there that we were enemies of God. And Ephesians 2, 3 adds that we were by nature objects of God's wrath. And, and it's all because we had broken his moral law and we had acted in total defiance of his will that was known to us for us to respond to him and to love him. Now he asked, why have I hit that so hard this morning? It's because that's what the Bible teaches about us. You have to come to that point of understanding who you are to understand the depth of God's love for you. I mean, you were ungodly. You were unrighteous. You were powerless. You know, you, you, were, you rebelled against God. And yet there is the depth of God's love that he says, I love you and I'll do anything that I have to do to claim you in my love. See, and that gives us a sense of hope. We don't deserve God's love, but it gives us a sense of hope. And it says if there's ever any time in your life that you doubt your worth and your value to God, all you have to do is look at the cross because there you find your value and there you find your worth. For a long time, I've realized that on on the normal channels on television, your normal uh, ABC, NBC, uh, CBS, and all those kinds of things, during the prime time stuff, there's really nothing to watch. And if I'm at home in the evening, uh, I like to watch uh, the, the national news at 6.30, then the local news at 7 o'clock, and then at 7.30 when that news goes off, I like to switch it to Jeopardy. Jeopardy's always been, since I was a kid and Jeopardy first came on there, that's always been my favorite television show. And usually after Jeopardy went off, I turned television off. And I went and started reading or doing some other work. But I have found that there are some good shows that are claiming my attention almost to the point of addiction on history and A&E, like Duck Dynasty. Any of you got caught up in watching Duck Dynasty? Yeah, okay. That's a neat show. But I also like um, on History Channel, um, uh, Swamp People. Have you watched Swamp People? No? Swamp people. I was plundering around at the dollar store the other day, and I found T-shirts of swamp people, you know, like this. And they were eight bucks, and they had them on sale for three, so I bought the boys some, my son, son and son-in-law, uh, because they like to watch that. And they're the ones that told me about Duck Dynasty. I had to catch it on another channel. But, I mean, it just, it just amazes me uh, to watch, watch those people where they're harvesting those alligators and all that. And it's, it's just an incredible thing. But then there's another one that gets my attention. How many of you have watched Storage Wars? Huh? How many of you watch Storage Wars? You know, you know that, how that works. These are where people have storage units and they got stuff stored in there and for some reason. And if they haven't paid up, they've disappeared, they died or whatever. And so the hordes of people come into these storage buildings, storage units. Now think about that now every time I pass these storage units here in the community. And um, they come in there and they cut the lock off, they open the door, and you get to look in just for a few seconds and then the bidding begins. And people are bidding on what's in there, banked on the fact that there's going to be some kind of treasure in there. They're going to find something of great value in there that they can then take and make money off of and sell. Well, you know what they're really doing is, is what my father-in-law would say, is they're taking a pig in the poke. They don't know what they're getting. They're bidding thousands of dollars and they don't know what the value of stuff is in there. It's the opposite with God. When God sent Jesus Christ to the cross, he knew our value. He knew our worth. That we were created in his image. And that he was willing to send his own son to the cross to pay that price 
so that he could have us and own us. A few years ago, there was a drawing discovered in a closet in one of the Smithsonian's museums. I think some of our middle schoolers uh, went on an after-school trip up to Washington and went through Smithsonian. I think it would take you about a year to see everything through all that stuff that they have. But it was a chalk drawing of a candelabra, um, and it was one that had sold to the Smithsonian in 1940 for 60 bucks. Five drawings for 60 bucks. And it sat for decades in a closet until somebody, a visiting scholar, came through and recognized it for what it was. It was an original Michelangelo. And today it's valued at more than $12 million. Same painting. What's the difference? The value is in the eyes of the beholder. And when God looks at us, he sees our value, he sees our worth. And the cross is the ultimate display of that. Don't ever doubt your value to God or your worth to God. He created you and he sent Jesus Christ to redeem you. That's what he was willing to pay. Now, how do we respond to this? God's love calls for our response. Let me make some quick suggestions. First of all, I think it says love God wholeheartedly. When you look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 38, you see that uh, that raises the bar about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. See, that, that tells us very clearly the way that we should love God in response with all that we are. Secondly, I think the challenge is then is to love others. First John four eleven says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, if we understand how much God loves us and we love God with all that we are, then Jesus said you'll love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we need to love others with that same kind of love, realizing that they are created in the image of God as well. Thirdly, I think it suggests this. You've got to love your enemies. You see, when we look at ourselves in, in Romans 5 there, we were enemies of God, but God loved us. And so Jesus says in Matthew 5, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When's the last time you prayed for your enemies? And then I think love compels us to tell others. In that great 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told, For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God makes logical sense when we discover the greatest love that there ever could be, God's love that redeems us and saves us from our sins, then we should be those who tell that story, that love. And the last thing I would say is then that love of God calls us to salvation. So if, you, if you've never responded to God's love, if you don't know what God's love is like, if you haven't allowed him to embrace you and take away the sins of your life, then you need to come to him today and accept that. This week on Wednesday in Vacation Bible School, we will share very simply the gospel and give children the opportunity to respond to God's love. And we'll do it simply with the A, B, C, D approach. And it's just simple as this. A, you've got to admit your sin, that you are a sinner. And B, you have to believe that God loves you and he sent Jesus to die for your sins. And C says then you have to confess that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. And then we add D, which means demonstrate. 
then you're called to demonstrate that you've accepted God's love. You want to make your decision public. You want to follow Jesus in baptism. You want to live for God. You want to show his love and you want to share his love. It's just that simple. But oh, how profound is the love of God. You see, God really is love, isn't he? God is love. And he loves to love you. And he wants you to allow him to love you and for you to love him in response. Maybe on this Father's Day is the day that you come to know God's love for you as the perfect Father. Father God, we thank you that you are indeed our God and Father in heaven and that you're the perfect Father. And as we honor fathers today, help us to remember that uh, while no one here is perfect, you are and that you are love, and that your love is demonstrated in Jesus Christ, and that we can respond to that love, and we can know the greatest love that there is in all the world, to be loved by you. And so, Father, I pray that this love of yours will be understood to the, not to the extent that lives will be changed today, that they will know their value in your sight, and lives will be changed today if people will respond to your love, and lives will be changed this week in Bible school as boys and girls will come to know your love for them through Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we pray for your spirit to move and touch our hearts with decisions we need to make to glorify you. And we pray it in Jesus' name.